Let me ask you this before we get to Colossians 3, so that we can set up maybe our thinking towards it. And let me say this, what motivates you? What is motivating to you? This could be a lot of things. I know it's a deep question. You could probably and maybe should be uh, unpacking that in therapy for years. I don't know. Why you are the way you are. Why you do the things that you do in your day-to-day life. Why do you act the way that you act? Why do you think the way that you think? Why do you choose some activities over others? Why do you keep going and not give up, even on hard days in certain areas of your life and in certain other areas that's not true? I'll tell you this for me. If you know me, you already know this, but for me, one motivation, this is a bit superficial, but it's true. uh, One motivation for me is peace and order. I often spend my free time, I don't have real hobbies, these are my hobbies, organizing, tidying, cleaning, checklists, and the like. Mm. Like if it's it's like if I have free free time and I really don't have a pressing other thing, Cleaning out a closet is like a very relaxing situation for me. Just tear it apart, just purge it, put it all back together, all tidy and stuff, and then walk out and then walk back in and be like, oh, it's so good. Like, this is fun times for me. Some of you are like, come to my house. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, I struggle. I really do struggle uh, when things are chaotic around me. Uh, I'm very, I'm much happier, I'm more chill, I'm even, I'm more flexible in my time uh, with what I do when I, I know that I'm on top of things and my routines in my life support that kind of a thing. So if, if you're talking about like an ideal Saturday afternoon for me, it's like the house is perfectly clean and tidy already, right? Like you did that and you know you did that and, and the dishwasher is emptied and that one like light bulb that was out, you've changed it. And then you could, and then you, and then the laundry is going, but like in the background, and then you can just read a novel, like in the middle of all of that peace and, and order. <laughs> it's magical. And some of you are like, we didn't know how weird you were, but now we, uh, we get it. But this is true. This is motivating for me. Like I literally do, like I clean my house. People will say to me, you love cleaning your house. No, cleaning is the worst. I actually hate cleaning my house, but I love clean things. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's motivating. Like that picture of where I could be reading that novel, you know, on Saturday afternoon is what motivates me to do these things. Obviously, and much more importantly, of course, another motivation for me and probably for a lot of you too is my family. Uh, I want everything to be all right for them all the time. Like, that's a motivating factor for me. I know that's absolutely not possible. I'm not pretending that it is. But darn it, I try. I try to make sure everything is good and everybody's where they need to be and everybody has what they need. And I don't know if that's a mom guilt trip sort of a thing or that's just like everybody, I don't know. But So we have to ask ourselves why we do the things we do. It's very insightful in our lives, to figure out not just what we do, but why we do what we do, and why we don't do what we don't do. And as we continue in the book of Colossians here, we're we're working to truly understand, not in a superficial way, like maybe on social media, but in a real way, what it means to like and follow Jesus. And we we start uh, with the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, It's been really like the theology that he has set up for us, our understanding of who Jesus is, has been so deep and so rich in the first two chapters And there's more of that in chapter three, but we start to transition now into a more practical look at what this could be in the life of the believer. 
And so in keeping with the social media metaphor that we're kind of using for this series, the Apostle Paul writes that there are some things that we need to have trending. That's what I call this, trending in the lives of the Colossian Christians and of course for us now today as well. So in chapter one, uh, Paul has prayed for them and he's given a stunning Christology. He's told them that uh, he's pouring out all his effort to make sure they are maturing in their faith. In chapter two, he throws a flag on the play and he says they're, they're tempted in the church to add cultural relevance and also religious traditions to their faith. And he points them back to Jesus alone. Jesus alone. And in no, he says that in no uncertain terms. So if you miss that message, it's an important one so that we can understand chapter 3 with the right context. So you can go back and listen to that later. Just make sure that you do. And now he picks up on a theme he started in chapter 2. He mentioned it there. And he's going to really dig into it here. It's about dying with Christ in, and, and as symbolized in baptism and being raised with him in faith. And so he starts by saying, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Why? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You ever heard that phrase before? That's where it comes from. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Because here there is no... There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, mm, but Christ is all, and say it with me, and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. <laughs> Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has, has an offense against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you have been called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Hmm. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. 
with all wisdom. How? We did this this morning. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, it's like, cap it off. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, there is a reason, if you're new here, there's a reason that I memorized Colossians and I didn't know often what it was other than that I just thought it would be a cool exercise and it turned into the fact that I hear the scripture differently. Can you hear it differently? <laughs> like, like it comes to me differently in different times in my life. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Like, and then you also will appear with him in glory. What a beautiful promise, but just go back. When Christ, who is your life, Appears, he's come. Okay, that's not in here. That's not in here. That's not, I don't have time for that right now. Here's the situation. Here's the situation in chapter three. Basically, he's saying this you have to completely change your motivation from what it used to be before you knew Christ. And maybe you've known Christ for your whole life. So let's just, for you, like that's my story too, but this is for you before you truly understood God's grace, before, before you really understood that your faith was your own. That's kind of what we're talking about here. But for some of you, there was a real distinct moment when you received Christ for the first time. So there was a way you used to live there were things that used to motivate you and your motivation now is completely different and he needs, he needs the, the church in Colossae to understand and so the Holy Spirit through the scriptures is saying, I need you to understand that. You used to be concerned with the worries and the burdens of the world. You used to be concerned about making sure that you were as happy as possible in life and that's over now. There is something far better than that for you. So here's the logic that he lays down here. Christ died and was raised to life. Then he ascended to heaven where he now rules and reigns forever. You died to yourself and were raised to new life with Christ. In fact, your life is now hidden with him. And where Christ is, of course, in heaven, so is your new life. It's not going to be found on earth. It's found in heaven. Like your life right now is already eternal because of your faith in Christ. And it's already hidden with him. And that's where your true life really is. It is in the kingdom of heaven. So, he says, the logical thing to do then would be to set your mind and heart on things above. Not on earthly things. Listen, we don't know that much about heaven there's, there, we don't. We, we, know, we get a few pictures of heaven in the scriptures. There's so much that we don't know. But one thing we do know for absolute certain, we know that the risen Christ is already reigning there. So you have to stop thinking about this world first. You have to change your mind. It, it, this world is broken and fallen and longing to finally be made new just read Romans 8, talks a lot about that. So you, as a Christ follower, have to look up and change your perspective and fix your eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance, the race marked out for you by the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. That's Hebrews 12. So if you die and are raised to life again in your spirit, which, by the way, again, is symbolized in baptism. That's why we baptize people when they come to faith in Christ. It's a symbol of that death to self and that being raised in Christ to new life, and we do it in front of others to publicly de declare our faith. 
when you, when you are raised to life again, you emerge as a different person. And part of that different person is including what you concern yourself with day to day. From now on, he says, the believer should view everything against the background of eternity and not live like this world is all that matters. And so this is our motivation to change our behavior because then he starts to get into some really specific behaviors here. And changing your behavior cannot be about religious piety. Rules do not make you more virtuous. See chapter 2, okay? This is why we did 2 before we did 3, right? See chapter 2. Um, but there, we do absolutely have guidelines for living in Christ that are incredibly helpful. But we have these guidelines, and we are going to want to be obedient to these guidelines, but only after we have re remembered that we're not submitting to worldly rules or religious, like religious lists of things. This is about a heart change. This is about a motivation change, right? That actually then affects our behavior and then our ability also to be able to be obedient to Christ. It doesn't mean, of course, that just because of chapter 2 that there are no boundaries, there's no no's for the Christian life. There are a lot of no's. But our, our motivation to not do something and to do something else instead is not to earn God's favor. Or it's not also to earn the favor of other people. Or to look a certain way or to whatever. The motivation is the recognition that these behaviors are not in line with the heart of God and they don't produce the best for us, they don't produce the best for one another and when we walk in these ways, they destroy what God loves and what he created, namely you. So the language here is death and life, symbolized by baptism, but also symbolized, maybe you caught this metaphor in here, by taking off one garment and putting on another. It's like taking off a, a garment, uh, like a, I thought, I don't know if this is like how helpful this metaphor is, but I was thinking about these clothes that we need to get rid of. And I'm thinking about that dirty old t-shirt with holes in it that is comfortable to you, but needs to go. I'm thinking about that pair of jeans that is like way out of shape. They're, they're stained and they're ripped, although ripped, like ripped in a bad way, not in the cool way or whatever. Like not the ones you buy like that, you know. You have this old pair of jeans that's really comfortable and every time you put them on, you're just like, yeah, that's good. That's just like just comfortable. But they're disgusting and like they need to go, right? And you know that and your spouse has probably told you that, by the way, uh, but you won't listen. It's that. It's sort of like that picture. There are things that just need to go. There are garments that need to be taken off and discarded. They need to die. Maybe this is a prophetic word just over some practical things in your, I don't know, in your lives. You take that and move on. I've been, I've been asked to move on from that. So spouses, I just don't want to give you guys too much. Uh, well, Pastor Tracy said, Truthfully, it's hard. It would, it's hard. The reason that we hold on to stuff like that is because getting rid of that old t-shirt or that pair of jeans that you've loved for so long and getting on this new outfit um, that's, that, that's formed by the one who created you, it's, diff it's difficult. It's so comfortable. It's so known. It's, it's a pattern that you recognize. And, and yet the scriptures here are saying this garment that you're to put on is literally crafted for you 
by the one who created you. And so, uh, admittedly, I, I, I found this in my life, putting on this garment, you can, you can be in your mind, whatever that you want that to be, putting on this garment might be difficult at first because you're not used to it. It's a different way of walking in the world. It's a different way. You might take some time to get used to it. But I'll tell you this from my own life in Christ, that once you are in it, you will not any longer want to put on the old jeans and the T-shirt. You won't anymore. There will come a point where you say, I, you know, you, you find yourself gravitating back, but then you realize this actually just is so much better. This is so much better for me. There are things you have to, that have to be put off, that have to be in here. Like this language comes up over and over again here in, in chapter 3, put to death. There are things in your life that are common when you don't have a transformed heart. Uh, common in your life without the redemptive work of Jesus in you. He names some of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and filthy language from your lips. He talks about uh, greed and anger and malice and slander. He talks about lies. He starts to name some of these things that are like these old clothes that just need to be discarded out of your life. He just, in case you missed it, like he's going to name a few things here. And the, the, the phrase here, put to death, is a huge demand. He's not saying, <laughs> I have, I'm guilty of this. Not in a spiritual sense, I hope so, though I'm probably true too. I mean, in a practical sense, you've got that pair of jeans, you're just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to put them in my closet in case I need it again. In case I like, and you go and you're like, clean out your closet, and you're just like, well, I might, well, if I'm, if I'm doing a painting project, like, I'm going to need some old clothes or whatever, like, you always, you, you just tuck them into a little bin, you think you're going to need them again, that's kind of the thing. But what the call here is, is to put to death, like, take it to the dump, the kind of a situation. It's, it's more, it's, it's more than self-denial or abstinence from those things. It's like surgically removing everything that keeps you from fully obeying God, from fully surrendering to Christ. That's the image here of put to death. So the list that follows is very clear. And of course, this list, these lists that Paul gives us are not exhaustive of all of the things, of course, right? They're, they're just representative. They're examples, but they certainly give you a picture of what he means. Like in Galatians 5, I love this. You know Galatians 5, we love that part that says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So good, right? Against such things there is no law. So good. But do you know what it says just before that in Galatians 5? There's another list that looks very much like this one. And it says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And then he goes into a whole bunch of things that, that, that are the sinful nature to say, you already know these things don't work in your life in Christ. Same idea here. But it's like he's saying, you can either be dead in sin and literally just walk around like a dead person in sin, or you can die to your sin and be raised in Christ. And this is the picture. There, there isn't a lot that I can say about the behaviors that are listed by Paul here, more than what you already know when you read the list for yourself. Sexual immorality, anything outside of God's plan for sex, a man and a woman committed to one another in the covenant or promise of marriage. Impurity and lust, they have a similar theme to sexual immorality. 
And they're related in this passage here. He's, he's kind of giving a generic term for evil desires. Those things that go against obedience to God's word, the way that God has intended us to live. The purity from our lives that he's commanded. It's interesting in here too, do you notice that greed is associated with idolatry? The worshiping of something other than God. Giving your life for more power or for more money or for more of anything except for God. The giving yourself to that. And then of course there's anger and the words that it produces, the malice, the slander, the ugly speech of any kind. None of that belongs in the life of someone who is hidden in Christ. It doesn't fit. And it needs to be thrown off like a disgusting old coat. Oh, wait, the metaphor was jeans. Like a disgusting old pair of jeans. <laughs> it needs to be thrown off. And yeah, there's even a line in there. Did you, did you like this one? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Did you hear that one? The sinfulness that is listed here is the reason that God is coming with his judgment one day. And the wrath of God, I need you to understand this in case that jumped off the page to you as well. It's not malicious and impulsive anger on the part of God, but it is a necessary reaction to true holiness. It is his justice and his goodness to, that, that is, um, comes to, to take care of the wickedness in the world the exploitation of others, uh, the evil of every kind. And that is what is necessary in order to come and make all things new. And he says, you don't have to wait for that moment. There is a moment right now where you can just decide to already live that way. And those things are already out of your life. Now, the implications of dying have been drawn out here. Uh, this picture of completely removing, almost like surgically removing these kinds of things from your life. He makes that very clear in one little paragraph. But now, he says, let's talk about, that's what death looks like. Let me talk to you about being alive. Let me talk to you about the effect of being risen with Christ. There is a heavy, stained garment that you have to take off. So what do you put on? Quite simply, the new self, which you put that on, which in some ways is just like the original design. We were created in the image of God. And that image is broken and disfigured by sin. And the enemy, Satan, he, he piles onto our brokenness. He tells us that we have to be true to ourselves, that we have to find ourselves, that we have to identify ourselves as something specific. But what happens when we meet Jesus is that our identity shifts away from ourselves entirely and begins to be renewed in knowledge in what? In the image of its creator. Your identity becomes renewed in knowledge in the image of the one who created you. That's the person that I want to be. And let me tell you, it is so much less pressure than you having to figure out who you are. I'll tell you who you are. You are in Christ. You have been created in Christ and all of your identity can flow from that place and you can be so free in living like that. You lose yourself or you die and there, then you can find your true identity because, and this is the, the picture here, that because you are raised with Christ. It's not your personality or your influence or your sexuality or your gender or anything else that gives you identity. Everything about you is submitted to him. 
Everything is submitted to who you were created to be and that person now being found hidden with Christ in God. I know that that's a bit of a big, it's, it's not a very practical thing. <laughs> Let me say it like that. The, the, list, uh, the list of sins is, is practical. This I know, I just, but I'm asking you, and I think that's maybe why the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray that there be no confusion in this room today. Because I don't want you to say, I don't understand. How can I be, have my, my, my identity hidden with Christ? How can my identity come from him? I'm just saying to him, I'm, let, me just say, let me say it like this. Maybe this would be a clarifying statement. What I'm talking about dying to yourself and not finding your identity in anything that the world tells you you should find your identity in. I'm saying that you take all of those things. I will take my gender. These are very hot topics in our culture right now. I'll take my sexuality. I'll take my personality. How many personality profiles do we have over there, right? I'll take my personality. I'll take my past. I'll take my hopes for the future who I think I want to be, the things that I, I'm going to take all of that. And the world would say, bundle that up and find your true self. This is saying, say bye-bye oh, to those things and take all of those things because that's who you were created to be. Your like Those are things that you are created in Christ Jesus. And you take all of those things and you lay them down at the feet of Jesus and you say, this is my life. Do what you want to do with it. Hey, Jesus... Um, I don't know, uh, I, I'm struggling in this area. What does it look like for me to live with you in my life in this personality type of mine? What does it look like to have you in my life? Does that make sense? Like this is the practical application of that. The problem is I can't tell you what that's going to be for you. I can just speak in generalities, but I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to say, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Paul goes on to say it's not even just that. It's not even just about you and, uh, and your, your personal things. He says, in, because of all that Christ has done, this would have been an absolute revolution to the original hearers of this letter. Christianity has destroyed all the barriers in society. Your birth and nationality ceremonial and ritual, cultured versus uncultured, class versus class. This is this list. Notice he said Gentile and Jew and not Jew and Gentile. I don't think that was a mistake. Circumcised or uncircumcised. There's that thing we talked about last time where we were talking about uh, you know, wanting to have those religious rituals to prove whether or not you were in Christ, all been destroyed. Barbarian, Scythian, this would be like, these would be like people that we go, oh, like we're better than them kind of a thing. No, all of that in Christ is gone. Uh, class versus class, all of it, all of it gone because there was slave and free in there. Any differences in background and nationality and color and language and social standing or anything else have to be seen as irrelevant, not irrelevant because that part of that is who you are, but irrelevant to the question of love, irrelevant when it comes to honor or respect um, That because those things get to be shown to everybody for any, like it doesn't matter at all what other label might be on them in this world. Some of that is because you just are inherently valuable as an image bearer of God. And a lot of that is because of your standing as a co-heir with Christ, because Christ is all and is in all. And that's the most important thing about you. And that's exactly what you get to clothe yourself with. You get to throw away 
that old disgusting pair of clothing. You get to put on something that actually is going to fit you in this life in Christ. You know what fits you and changes you and feels right and leads to life? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And over all those virtues, put on, what did it say? It's okay, I'll wait for it. <laughs> Off campus, you probably can't hear it. It's really quiet. Somebody, somebody has something they were supposed to be doing at 11 o'clock this morning, and their alarm just went off to let them know. Go ahead, be free. You do, you do what you have to do. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I mean, when you take a step back and really observe the life in Christ, I, like a life in Christ against a life without Christ, it's not really a contest. This is my sales pitch to you this morning. When I live for myself, I have free reign. I really do. When, and this is, this is a gift that we've been given, this free will of ours. When I live for myself, I have free reign over my sexuality, over my lusts, over my greed, over my idols. And that seems like freedom, doesn't it? When I get to do whatever I want. But when I think about what it would be like to live a life of compassion and kindness and humility and love, I see that in that life, I am actually far freer than I could ever imagine. Because why? The demands of my selfishness are never satisfied. They literally are never satisfied. And there's no freedom in that. The demands of love are filled and refilled over and over in my life by the Spirit of God. So there's no end to being able to live in this way, to be able to wear this new set of clothes. And so I choose life when I set those things up against each other. And I know this can feel so incredibly countercultural, like you're a fish out of water in a lot of places and relationships. For people around us who don't know Jesus, your desire to clothe yourself with Christ can sometimes come off as holier than thou or naive or judgmental. I get that. You might be walking in incredible humility and you might be so gentle in your conversations and you've done everything right and, and it's just it's difficult for someone to understand why you would want to live that way. And so in that, I, I want to say I acknowledge that it's tempting to compromise, to water down the message, to water down your commitment to Christ, or just even to keep your belief to yourself. But I, can I just say to you, that is not our calling. That is not our calling. Pastor Ethan's going to talk about this um, in two weeks. <laughs> He's going like this. <laughs> in two weeks. About what it means to live this life in front of others. Because that matters too. I just want to acknowledge that as you're doing this, there might be some discomfort for people who are, are not living the way that you live. And so we can, but if you continue to clothe yourselves with these things, you can see what kind of a life would that be? Christians shouldn't shy away from the fact that our lives are centered on divine things, a different way of making sense of reality, a different way of living that goes against the grain of what modern society offers to us as what's normal. This way of life, this clothing we're putting on, it has the power to transform communities. In a world of strife and chaos, Jesus has, Jesus' way binds us together in perfect unity. Not conformity, because we're all so beautifully and uniquely made, but unity. Don't we need some unity in the world around us? And I just gotta say this. 
Let's not assume perfection in any of these things. That's not the standard that we are called to. Although we are, we're aiming for it, of course. We're growing in it, of course. We're getting better at it, of course. But let's be clear, we are instructed here to bear with each other. Why? Because we will need to bear with each other as we work these things out in our new life in Christ. We definitely won't always do it right. They're also instructed to forgive each other in case you're wondering why, remember how Christ forgave you? Yeah, there's like this instruction that this is going to be necessary as we walk this out in real life together. There will always be people that we need to bear up with. And there will be people, there will be times that we need others to do that for us. That word bear up, by the way, literally means endure one another. <laughs> Jesus help us. We know, we know we've got some distance to go. But when love has its full effect in the community, he says, the result is peace. So if we strive for this, the result among us in our own lives and together as the church is peace. Let the peace of Christ be the decider of all things in your heart is kind of how this should be translated. That word decider or rule your hearts, like literally translate to umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your heart. The, like that peace would be the reason you decide to do or not to do, to make this call or to make that call. The peace of Christ ruling and reigning in your heart is what decides that. When Jesus is the umpire, imagine the freedom that we have. Drama-free, strife-free, bitterness-free, unforgiveness-free. These are the things of a life in Christ. And so every behavior in our lives goes through the filter of a life in Christ. One commentator said it like this. Can we do it? Can you help me with this one, Vaughn, so we can watch it together? Thank you. Can we do it calling upon the name of Jesus? Can we do it asking for his help? Can we speak it and in the same breath name the name of Jesus? Can we speak it, remembering that he will hear? If we bring every word and deed to the test of the presence of Jesus Christ, we will not go wrong. This is like a really much more thoughtful way to say WWJD. <laughs> right? And if you didn't grow up in church world, that just means what would Jesus do? We did bracelets, we did t-shirts, we did banners, like, you know, that's what that means. Matt, why don't you come with the team? Let's get ready to do communion. What I love about my faith is Jesus. I love you guys too, but more than I love being a part of the church, I love Jesus. You might say, duh, right? No, what I mean is this. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. When I couldn't have cared less about him, he paid the ultimate price for me. When I ignore him and I make incredibly bad decisions, he continues to offer his life for mine. I don't earn his grace. His grace is what allows me to walk in a different way every day. So I'm motivated in my life to do it his way because of him. Because he has changed my heart. And without a changed heart, 
I can't do a lot, but with a changed heart, I can change my lifestyle to please him in every way. And as it turns out, when I do that, it's not for his benefit, it's for mine. That's the definition of agape love. That selfless love that is poured out for us and it actually ends up being for our benefit, not for his. So as we come to this table this morning, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to simply speak from the scriptures to you and ask yourself, what do I need to take off and or put on this morning? Maybe something really specific from these lists. Maybe you're just trying to hold on to that old pair of jeans and it's, you just realize it's time to just let it go and just walk with Christ. I don't, I don't know what part of that it is, but for whatever part of that metaphor is resonating with you from the word today, as we go to this table together, this is the perfect opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, let me just, could you show me? Could you just show me? And listen, when I say things like this to you, you know, I actually pray like that for real in real life. And I don't know if it's very spiritual, but I literally do say stuff like that. That's how I talk to Jesus. I'm just struggling, Lord, in this area. Could you just show me? And I really, like, I'm not just asking you to show me. I'm really going to listen. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm actually really going to need your help to do the thing. Like, I'm really also going to need your help to, 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 to stay with this new garment on. I, I'm going to need all of those things. Like, you can literally just pray like that. If you don't know how to pray, it's, it's as simple as that. Just ask Jesus what you need. Tell him what's on your heart. Just be yourself. He already knows. He created you. He knows who you are. So we're going to gather around this table. If you're new with us or haven't done this before, we're going to invite you to come up the center aisle. And... Uh, once we get going here, Matt's going to lead us. And what happens is we'll have some servers here. You can take your emblems and take them back to your seats. Then just hold on to them for a moment. And then we're going to walk through the scriptures together. And one of the things we're going to do um, in the scriptures as we're instructed is we always examine our own hearts. We want to make sure we don't take these emblems in a way that's um, not pleasing to the Lord, that is taking for granted his grace. Or we're coming to this table with sin in our hearts and we need to deal with that with the Lord before we take the emblem. So we're going to have that moment. But as you walk up, as you take the emblems, as you go back to your seat and have a few moments to reflect, ask yourself and ask the Lord in prayer, is there anything I need to be taking off and putting on instead in Christ? What is it from me? that you wanna do. So let's stand together and let's get ready to receive these emblems. As Matt begins to lead, we'll invite the servers to come and uh, when we're ready, then the front rows can just begin. So let's invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we come to this table again, as is our tradition, we don't do it out of tradition, but out of honor and respect and awe for you. So God, as we even as we receive these emblems, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak the things into our lives that you want to speak. Convict us and challenge us, God. We know that's hard, but we invite you to do the work because we know it needs to be done so that we can be free and live in freedom the way that you've called us to live, a new life in Christ. Do this in us, Lord Jesus, as we gather around this table this morning in your name.